0: Hi, I'm Deirdre Veldon and this is Confronting Coronavirus, a daily podcast on the COVID-19 outbreak. Last month, as Ireland went into lockdown, the key message given to the Irish people was
1: Everybody must stay at home in all circumstances.
0: We've been asked to do one thing and it's stay at home.
1: So you must stay at home.
0: The warning was repeated by the country's leaders, in news bulletins, and by health experts who were adamant. If you do
1: as we're asking you now, stay at home if at all possible, except in very limited circumstances, you're going to save lives. And don't think about it on a macro level. Think about your mum and your dad, your granny and your granddad, your neighbour down the road.
0: But what about the thousands of people across the country who don't have a home? At the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak, over 10,000 people in Ireland were registered as homeless. Kitty Holland is the Irish Times social affairs correspondent and she has been speaking to people availing of homeless services across Dublin City. So Kitty, coronavirus has been described as a great leveller in the sense that anyone can contract it. But your ability, of course, to defend yourself from it relates to your means. So it's not a leveler at all, is it? Well, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's not a it's not a level
1: experience. I suppose you know it doesn't discriminate in terms of who it attacks, but it may you know that your circumstances will certainly. Um, improve or um, worsen your ability to kind of defend, you know, defend yourself or, or look after yourself in the current situation. So yeah, I mean, you could look to any vulnerable group of people um, and I suppose economically vulnerable um, bring, brings with it often health and immune system type vulnerabilities. Um, so yeah, economic vulnerability in, inherently means that you're gonna be more vulnerable to this disease.
0: So just how difficult is it to try and observe these very strict measures if you are homeless, for example?
1: Well, if if you're homeless um, and depending on where you are, I mean, if you're a homeless family, you're probably going to be in a homeless family hub or in a hotel. um, And that's a congregated setting. There's lots of different congregated settings, but that's one of them. Um, And, you know, when you're sharing kitchens and you're sharing um, facilities and sharing playrooms, there's, it's going to be much more. Um, difficult to self-isolate or to distance yourself from um, people from outside your household. Um, what the homeless services would argue they're doing is that they have taken some of the families out of the family hubs or they've taken um, some of the homeless individuals out of the hostels and put them into um, some of the short-stay lets that have become available um, or they've kind of commandeered hotels for um, to kind of disperse, I suppose, that, that population around. Um, what it has meant, I mean, I've, I've talked to some families and family hubs who are still there. They've closed down some of the kind of communal facilities, which, and those communal facilities made life more bearable, of course, for homeless families you know, play facilities, sensory rooms, playgrounds, um, the common room with the television. Um, they've been closed. So you're much more cooped up as a family and it's much less tolerable and much more stressful. Um, And if you were to put that on top of the kind of stresses and mental health issues that are already there, and on top of that, of course, the schools are closed so the children have have no outlets really. And then if you're looking at the um, homeless individuals, some of them are now, as I say, kind of dispersed around other hostels and some of the hostels have been told to stay open to them for 24 hours a day that they don't have to leave and go on the street. And they are meant to be providing meals. Um, but I've, what I've been hearing is that some of the hostels at least are providing sort of you know, a breakfast, a bowl of soup and another bowl of soup in the evening. So people are turning up at um, food, food serving places, um, hungry you know and in, this, in the midst of this the last thing you need is to be your nutrition to be suffering um, and of course that the homeless population are um, their, their health is compromised their immune systems are compromised so they're both more vulnerable to, to the illness and less able to avoid it
0: Kitty the authorities made a commitment at an early stage not to leave anyone outside uh, has it been able to deliver on this? To a large extent, I suppose they
1: they would say it, it has, but I mean, there are still, according to charities like Inner City Helping Homeless in Dublin, to up to 90 people a night sleeping rough um there's probably more than that sleeping in squats and things like that and, and in parks and um and the, the, the real difficulty has been for people who are from outside dublin because if you um become newly homeless in dublin um, and this will be obviously i'm talking about dublin but there's probably other local authority areas if you become newly homeless you have to um register as homeless and you have to verify your identity and they have to be sure you know that you are who you say you are i suppose just to keep a track of you and get in touch with you again to give you services um, and that's that's proving very difficult particularly for um eastern europeans at the moment and a lot of them would be have been in work which has now gone um, and there are seem to be quite a significant number who have become um, homeless since this pandemic started and they are finding it Quite difficult to get into um, get into accommodation, and when I was down at the City Institution, which which does look after a lot of um, that cohort, and met a number of Eastern Europeans who. Uh, young men uh, very and not you know they didn't seem to be drinking or anything they seemed to be people who really had just lost their jobs in the last while um, very stuck very unable to get any kind of accommodation um, couldn't stay with friends because friends obviously don't want to take people in so I yeah I met a guy from from um, from Romania, who had been working as a chef and had lost the accommodation he'd been in because he was sharing nine in the house and he was asked to leave. He couldn't pay the rent. So he'd been sleeping outside a bank, he said, in Dublin Four for the last two or three weeks. Um, I don't know if he's yet been um, accommodated, but he was really struggling to... To get anywhere, he couldn't. She was being turned away from Garda stations. And the woman who runs the place down there, Luisa Santoro, was saying that just last week they had five people there and they had to, in the end, send three of them on their way with just a sleeping bag, having been trying all, all, all day to get them a bed. So, I mean, like, I'm sure Dublin Regional Homeless Executive is doing everything it can to reach out and get these, uh, you know, and, and accommodate everyone. Um, they say there's a thousand new beds in the system, um, but some are, are falling through the cracks, unfortunately. And, um, and you know, sleeping on the street within, within, within a week, your, your health declines, your, you know, you're susceptible to th- to attack here it's just not safe it's bad for your mental health it's just to be left there for any kind of a length of time um is is just dreadful
0: and on top of that for those sleeping on the streets uh, still do they have any special arrangements uh that they or special services that they can avail of uh, for example showering
1: there is no showers available at the moment if you're sleeping rough. Um, there are, there were places, and um, Alice Leahy's Trust was one place. Um, Merchant's Key, the Capuchin Day Centre, Capuchin Day Centre, they all had showering facilities, but they're all closed. So there is. Um, yeah nowhere to get a shower and nowhere to yeah, nowhere kind of even just to make an appointment to get a shower I mean Louisa in this Mendocity Institution was saying that she had suggested that maybe she could bring some of these people down to get a shower somewhere you know and she'd by appointment and that wasn't possible and you know she makes the point how can you engage with someone about washing their hands or they can't even wash themselves and she's had people come in who've been in the same clothes and underwear for like two weeks and how uncomfortable and distressed That is, and you just can't. I can imagine myself if I was that uncomfortable and dirty and you know, grimy, that I just wouldn't be able to even have a conversation with someone, it would be the foremost thing on my mind, and um, so there are. People who, for whom this crisis is really, really um, affecting them badly. I mean, if there's other groups, this, you know, the drug users as well, who some of them would be homeless. But there's a lot of concerns about the welfare of um, of drug, drug users and. You know, drug users are people who are addicted to substances that they need to get just to feel normal. So um, in this situation there, you know, that again, corona is not at the top of their list of priorities, but a top list of priorities is getting the drugs to feel normal. Um, So they are, um, you know, out and they're congregating and they're meeting people and they're trying to get their fixes. and, um, And there is a lot of concern about them and also the vulnerability of people who are trying to stay clean um, in terms of services being withdrawn.
0: You mentioned there the the drug users and and the fact that their their normal supply chains have been cut off or, or at least heavily restricted. So that opens them up to all sorts of, of risks and dangers, and and we have seen um, potentially the effects of this in the last couple of days um, in what appear to be uh, drug related deaths uh, in the Midlands. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, as we're as we're saying, you know, there have been certainly two um, drug related deaths and possibly a third in the Midlands that we've been hearing about overnight, and uh, and we don't know. The cause of death yet and we won't get post mortems and certainly won't get inquests for probably well over a year but the fear would have to be that um, with with the d- drug supply and the dr- drug um, routes uh, that people would be usually accessing are probably being disrupted um, and I mean I was down talking to people in Merchants Key Ireland which is the voluntary drug treatment centre there in Dublin and they were saying at the time, this was about a fortnight ago, that drug supply was holding up pretty well they weren't hearing too much about um about it there being any effect on it but what they were concerned about was the fact that um people who are out scoring drugs um are like really stick out like a sore thumb now at the moment you can see them congregating and you know you just don't see people congregating at the moment so you kind of can tell oh they're dealing and the guards are obviously disrupting that um much more vigorously at the moment and emergency were actually concerned about that because it was going to disrupt supply and at a time like this i suppose you can't tell the guards not to do their job but they were concerned about it nonetheless um and that that could lead to people Um, who obviously are addicted, they need to get, they need to access uh, these substances just to to feel normal. Um, So they will turn to other measures. They will turn to perhaps dealers they don't know. They will turn to suppliers they don't usually use and they may be getting drugs that they don't usually use or they don't know the strength of it. Um, So that there is a concern. I think that that may have played a role. Um, But as I say, we don't know in, in the Midlands and you know, when I was down at Merchants Quay, they were talking about uh, both the disruption to supply, but also the disruption to services for people who are trying to recover from addiction. And um, I was talking to one young man down there. Um, he used the name Derek with me. Of all the people I talked to down there that morning, he really made an impression on me because he was so, um, he was so attractive. <laughs> he was like, if he'd been born in a different place, you know, you just think this guy has, has the world at his feet. He was so intelligent, so articulate really bright and talking to me about why he wanted to be clean and how important it was for him to feel as he said feel the simple things and take joy in the simple things in life again because when you're addicted you just don't feel anything and um, he had been working really really hard to get onto a detox program and um, was really excited about getting on the detox program and you have to stay clean for a certain number of months to get on the detox program and you have to be giving your urines every day to make sure so he was really excited to get onto this detox program and it was cancelled because of the coronavirus at the beginning of March and he talked about how just what a kick in the teeth that was for him and how he was actually now back using heroin which was just heartbreaking and he I said to him, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And he just shrugged his shoulders and said, I'm probably just going to be found dead somewhere. Like just really, I hope he managed to lift himself out of that mood, but he was really, really despondent that morning talking to me about it. Um, The other concern which i have heard um voiced to me by um people in merchants Keep, but also the sale project which works with um drug using women in the north inner city is that some people are sort of saying I'm, I'm going to detox because of the coronavirus i'm going to stay at home and detox and and they're trying to do a sort of amateur detox but doing it with no support and obviously the day services and the na meetings and all those kind of things are gone and that people may Try to detox, not be able to sustain it, go back out and score again, and 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 die or take an overdose. And Gary Broderick from the Sale um, Project was telling me this morning of a woman who died over the weekend, a woman in her 40s, um, and that they suspect that's what happened with her. A woman with uh, children. Uh, so yeah, really, really heartbreaking stories um, out there, real tragedies. Because yeah, you know, as I was saying before, you know the issues don't go away people's uh, problems don't go away just because there's a virus out here, just because we're all talking about the coronavirus, their issues, which may be, you know, childhood trauma, um, domestic violence, housing problems, poverty, are still very much there and are being really exacerbated by by this crisis.
0: Kitty, there has been one uh, unexpected upside uh, of all of this for homeless families in in the form of of uh, accommodation that has been released from short term let hasn't there
1: there has yeah i mean I, um Focus Ireland and others. I know the Peach McFerry Trust as well are reporting that they're um, managing to help um, or support and assist more individuals and families to move out or to exit homelessness, as they call it, to um, to long term um, sort of permanent accommodation, um, and th- and that is because the collapse of the short term. Um, lets and the holiday lets and I suppose it's a market which if you're in it you realise is not really going to come back for at least a year. People aren't going to be confident even with a kind of easing of restrictions to go on holidays. The only issue I suppose is that um, the Simon community brought out a report um, last Friday which showed that um, even though more more places are becoming available, an awful lot of them, like more than half, are just not affordable for people who would be reliant on the housing assistance payment, which is what most homeless families would be or homeless individuals would be reliant on, which is the payment from um, the local authority to help with the cost of the rent. Brendan Kenny, the head of uh, housing, the assistant chief executive in Dublin City Council, is optimistic that more of this is going to become available, and they should be able to move on more. So, I mean, if it had the effect of dampening, effective dampening down rents, that would that would be great. But um, so, I suppose we we have to wait and see really how how useful that's going to be for homeless families. But there's this optimism that more families are moving out at the moment into long term accommodation.
0: Kitty, thanks. The Dublin Simon community is one of the homeless charities providing support and relief to those in need. Rebecca O'Carroll is a service manager in their long-term supportive housing. Rebecca, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your role within the Dublin Simon community? What kind of people uh, you work with and, and what, what are their needs?
2: Um, so I work um, in long-term supported housing. Meaning that I would work with people that have either addiction issues, uh, mental health issues, physical health issues, issues around trauma um, or behavior difficulties or sometimes even disabilities um, that they would basically wouldn't be able to manage in the community by themselves. So they live in a kind of a residential style uh, housing unit um, and it's on a long-term basis. So the, the idea is really that it's their home um, and this is where they stay and it's it's staffed 24 hours and you're provided with breakfast, lunch and dinner. We try to create a home environment, but within that home, there's um constant supports and ongoing supports. Um, we work with basically like both men and women. The youngest we have at the moment is 30s and then the eldest is mid 70s. So there's a fairly, broad age range um that we work with
0: and how is the outbreak affecting your service users at the moment and how have their needs changed
2: a lot of our our residents that we work with um would generally feel quite isolated from society anyway not not all of them but some would feel it based on their addictions or on their mental health or physical health there would be they would already have that feeling of isolation so this has just added kind of another layer to it so I mean we'd have a lot of people that would have little routines that would go to their doctors every week or every second week um, and would be in that routine would see their mental health teams so don't they don't see them they don't come out obviously because of social distancing and and then from day to day, so we've had to change, like, basically every everything in, within the service, how we work. From the minute that you come in the door, you have to go, you have to wash your hands straight away and sanitize. Residents are, are no longer allowed to kind of hang out in each other's rooms. Um and in terms of meal times even like meal times would be a time where everyone would kind of come together and eat together um we've had to um make two different meal times so like there's two different lunch times and two different dinner times and only a certain amount of people are allowed in in the dining room and all have to sit separate um which sounds really minor but when you're someone that feels quite isolated anyway it can be a major thing within your day because your day you could be looking forward to all day like coming out having a bit of lunch meeting people having the chats and um, and then i suppose that in itself is is quite isolating for them and even in terms of um addiction i suppose in terms of ourselves like nothing has changed in terms of addiction like people's addictions haven't gone away um their health needs haven't gone away they're still in and out of hospital um or residents are, are still drinking and i suppose the stress of it can cause increased drinking and drug use and things like that um, every service user here a resident would have a key worker assigned to them so basically they would meet with their key worker every week or every two weeks you know to check in how they're doing um, any goals they want to make um, anything that needs to change and I suppose them kind of meetings have to stop and, and if they do happen they're happening like in a big room you know, at two meters apart, which isn't ideal because the whole idea of keyworking is that it's like very. Um, I suppose it's 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 closer contact. You're working with someone; they know you very well. Um, they could be confiding in you something, you know, um, that they haven't told anybody else. So even to have that in a kind of an open space, two meters apart is a little bit hard.
0: So, Rebecca, just in terms of you mentioned there that a lot of the, the medical or more clinical types of supports are still there. But I guess a lot of the softer type supports have been taken away. But what do residents say to you about how they feel about not being able to access some of those softer supports?
2: So obviously they're like, especially when people that are in a huge like routine and routine is huge to them, um, they're just really disappointed and they kind of like don't overly understand it. Like you've kind of two different types of reactions to the COVID at the moment in terms of the residents that we're working with. You have the, Oh my God, like I'm really taking this seriously and like, I kind of do get it and I do understand it. And then you have the, Oh look, it's grand. It's fine. It's going to go away. And I suppose that in itself is like a coping mechanism. So um, it really does depend on person really um and how they're managing it and stuff and it is tough for them it is every day is tough for them even obviously everybody gets paid every week um but since covid has happened everybody's getting paid every two weeks and they're getting a double week so when you look at the likes of people that have uh any sort of addiction having two weeks worth of your money in your hand it can be frightening because Okay, you have your addiction, but you also have to be able to manage like for two weeks with two weeks money, which you're not used to. Um, We've had a few people that have given in a week to the office and that we minded for them. But then you obviously have others that want autonomy over their money and we completely understand that. So it's harder for them to manage. So we have seen an increase in terms of risk of overdose and people drinking that bit more. And then I suppose on week two, when when the money has kind of... um, has gone a bit. It's it's a little bit harder to cope and to manage when you don't have your alcohol or you don't have your drugs and stuff. So that in itself poses a huge concern for staff and for residents and adds another layer to the to the
0: kind of issue. So it's a, it's a tricky one. Rebecca, thanks very much. My thanks to Declan Conlon and Suzanne Brennan who produced today's podcast. And thanks for listening. Stay up to date with the latest developments at irishtimes.com. We'll be back tomorrow.